Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12, very familiar passage, and I, I will, I'll preach this quick and uh, try to be a blessing as the Lord has given this to me. The, the Hebrew writer here, who I believe is Apostle Paul, the Hebrew writer greatly in chapter 11, exalts the hall of faith, the Christian hall of fame, as he describes and tells the Old Testament saints. And you can walk through them. Uh, there's a great book in our library from a, a great preacher about these heroes of the faith. And uh, I encourage you to get it and read it. He's preached a series on it. And we have CDs on it in Miss Wanda's office. I'd encourage you to get hold of them on this mountain-moving faith. But Paul the Apostle greatly magnifies these heroes. He talks about Abel's sacrifice, Abraham's surrender. He talks about Jacob's solemn vow. Then Joseph's steadfastness, Moses' selective choice, choosing rather to suffer with the children of God, to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Talked about Rahab's safekeeping and Gideon's salvation. We could go on and on through Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith. And when Paul gets to the first part of this chapter, as we know it, the chapter division, chapter 12, Paul says, starting out this chapter, he says, wherefore? And Brother Joe always said, my dad always said, when you see the word wherefore, you find out what it is therefore, and you look back in chapter 11, wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who... For the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Paul continues his writing by speaking to the church and saying to us, because there is such a cloud of witnesses, the heroes of faith in chapter 11, because there's a great cloud of witnesses encouraging the saints of God in the race, Paul says there's some things to do to run your race. When I was in high school, my 10th grade year of high school in our little Christian school, just so happened that year, Brother Joe, we had four boys in the high school. Myself, my brother, two other younger fellas, and I was the oldest in the school at that time. And But my 10th grade year of high school, we got to go to regionals, Brother Jerry, and we had a track meet, and for one time in my life, I got to running a track meet. I competed in high jump, won the state that year in high jump. I loved I loved high jump. I loved basketball. I loved dunking a basketball. Finally did that in my senior year of high school and then blew out my knee. But I got to run track one time in high school, 10th grade. And the race Paul's talking about here is not a 440 relay. I remember that day Brother Steve, we went to regionals. My brother was the first leg. He was kind of the slowest on the relay team, so he was first. And then I remember Chris, they handed the, or Robert, they handed the, the baton to Robert. And he come around, handed the baton to Chris Wheeler. And finally it got to me. Got to me. I come around the, the last turn and down 80-yard stretch toward the finish line. And Brother Steve, I could see as I was coming down on my lane in the third lane, I saw my dad. And I could see him. Come on, son. Come on, boy. Come on. Brother Steve, I crossed the finish line 
looked around, and I was third. I was third. There were two schools from Decatur, Georgia there that were running. You can answer the question why they were first and second. I was third. Thought I had accomplished something. Third place in the race. But that's not what Paul's talking about here. Because this race is not a sprint. It's not a 100-yard dash. It's not a 440 relay. It's not even a mile run. The race that Paul is talking about here is the Christian race of life. And that's from the time that you kneel at the cross till the time you make it home. It's a race for life in the cause of Christ. And Paul very distinctly gives us four things in these scriptures about running this race. Let me give them to you and I'll preach it and I'll, I'll give you what the Lord's put in my heart. Number one, Paul said, you must run your race and you must run it freely. Paul said, laying aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. Now I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't want to carry these around the whole time I'm preaching. But I could not imagine trying to run a race with 10 pounds in my hand. My wife and I do a cardio workout almost every morning. And I like the ones when we get up and all you have to do is do the cardio and move and kick your legs and raise your hands. And I like that. But then some mornings, this, and I'll just go ahead and tell on myself, I do a cardio workout with my wife. It is for women. But I do it for my health. And I do it for my family. And I do it for my church because I want to be here in 20 years if the Lord don't come back. So go ahead and laugh. I do a cardio workout with my wife, and it's for women. And some mornings, this lady goes, now get your weights. The first few times, Brother Joe, I didn't get the weights. I just as soon do the cardio without the weights. Because the weights are a great hindrance to me doing the cardio correctly. And the weights and sins in your life are a great hindrance to you running your race correctly. Paul says, lay, away, uh, lay aside the weights and the sins that so easily beset you. Can I tell you what sin will do? Sin, let's go, back to, let's go back to the Old Testament. And be sure your sin will find you out. Now, my dad always said, son, your sin will be found out. And I believe that. Somehow, my dad always found out. Brother Joe got the opportunity to take his G.I. Joe back. I got the opportunity to get my tail whooped and take my stolen glasses back to Ben Franklin and look that manager in the eyeball and say, I'm sorry, sir. Be sure your sin will find you out. Yes, it will be found out. Young people, listen to me. I believe your sin will be found out, but the writer says be sure your sin will find you out. You know what sin will find out about you? Number one is find out what you're committed to. Sin, sin will find out what you cherish. Sin will find out what controls and conquers you. Paul said, lay aside the weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. Lay aside your weights. Lay aside your sins because the weights and sins in the Christian life hinder you from running the race successfully and properly. Lay aside the weights and the sins. Run freely. Number two, you have to run fittingly. Then Paul said, let us run with patience. The race set before us. Now in a race, there are rules you must follow. 
There's a lane you must stay in. There's a path you must follow. Staying on the straight and narrow path is the way you run the Christian life. If you're going to run fittingly in this life, you must run with patience, endurance, steadfastness, the race that is set before you. Be running freely, lay aside the weights, be running fittingly with patience, running properly, following the rules, following the guidelines. Number three, number three, Paul says, and looking unto Jesus, looking unto Jesus, that's running with focus, running with focus. Now, my dad told me, Brother Joe, when we ran that little four-man relay, my dad said, there's one thing to look at, son. You don't look down at the lines. You look straight ahead at the finish line and run straight to the line. If you run straight to the line, you'll stay in the lane. Set your focus on that finish line. And let me say the finish line is glory. The finish line is heaven. With our eyes fixed on Jesus. Hey, young people, moms, dads, listen to me. If you're, you're running the race focused, you'll look at Jesus and his person. You'll see he's the bread of life, the lily of the valley, the bright and morning star. He's the water. Man, what an awesome song. The water and the bread. Looking unto Jesus, looking at his person, looking at his promises. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Call unto me and I will answer thee. Thank God Almighty. When I lay aside my sins and I call upon Jesus, 1 John 1, 9, if I confess, promise, promise, He's faithful and just to forgive. Running focused with my eyes on Jesus, looking at his person, looking at his promise, looking at his power. You want to run right? Look at the power of God in the world. Look at the power of God in creation. If I get stuck here, I love creation. I love nature. It amazes me that God in six days created such an awesome world, a beautiful world. It all spins around the sun. It revolves on its axis. It has seasons. It is round and not flat. Man's never fallen off of it at the end of the globe. There's an awesome God of the universe that created that. His power of creation, but His power in my life. When your eyes are focused on Jesus and you see the power of God working in your life, working in the lives of others, and you see the power of God and what God does And you can stop and say, thank you, Lord, for the way you did that. I think most everybody knows Beth and I are not in our home right now. And I thank Brother Joe and Miss Julie for letting us be in that little blue house over there. I love everything about the blue house except the train that goes through at midnight and 4 o'clock in the morning. Amen. Glory to God. You'll come out of that bed fast. Uh, An alarm went off the other week behind the house. I don't know if it's the old church or if it's a business, but an alarm went off at 2.40 in the morning. I came out of the bed, opened the top drawer, grabbed my pistol, went to the window, and I looked out. That thing went off for five minutes. and Finally, it turned off, Brother Joe, and I went back to bed and had my eyes open half the night. And the next morning, I called Landon there, and I said, Landon, did you hear that alarm at 2.40 in the morning? No, Dad, we don't hear things over here anymore. Done got complacent. Beth and I came home at Christmas, drove in the driveway, opened the garage door, 
flooded house, frozen pipe, 45,000 gallons of water in two days went through our house. And now we're fighting with the insurance and all that good stuff. Amen. I want to say thank you, Lord. I've got a roof up above me. Thank you, preacher. Thank you, Miss Julie. Thank you, church, for the blue house. And honest before God, we walked in. Brother Steve saw the ceiling had fallen out of Spencer's room. Sheet rocking insulation on his bed. Sheet rocking the hallway insulation. House was flooded. And honest before God, Brother Earl, I walked through the house, got to the kitchen, and I stopped. And I lifted my hand and I said, Thank you, Lord. Beth and I have, well, she has. I bought it, but she has. We have a 41-piece Christmas village set in our kitchen every year. And I got it plugged into six outlet strips on the floor. That will never happen again. I promise before God that will never go on the floor again. Brother Joe, where we have them outlets and where we have them four tables with our village, the water stopped in our kitchen. You can see it on the floor where the water stopped. But David, I should have lost my house. But I looked at the power of God that night in my house and said, thank you, Lord. God's power knows where to stop the water. He slept on it and walked on it. He can stop it wherever he wants to. You'll run your race with your eyes focused on Jesus, his person, his promises, his power. Looking unto Jesus, fourthly, who endured the cross. If you're going to run your race, young people get it. Moms and dads get it. Run freely. Run fittingly. Run focused. But run to finish. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. He endured till it is finished. He went all the way. Finished the course. Finished the race. Only time I see anybody in scripture said it's finished. Paul said, I've fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. I guess that's two of them. But Jesus said, I finished mine and I fulfilled it. I ran to finish. Run to finish the race. Any old timers in the room know the name Florence Chadwick? Florence Chadwick was a long-distance swimmer in the 1940s, 1950s. So that means everybody older than me might know. Even older than Brother Joe might know. Brother David, you probably ought to remember the name Florence Chadwick. Florence Chadwick was, uh, I'll not even call Miss Kathy's name. Florence Chadwick was a long-distance swimmer in the 1940s and 50s. She was the first lady to cross the English Canal both directions against the current. She swam long distances and her endurance was what made her so popular in the forties and fifties. She uh, could average, they said she could average as a long distance marathon swimmer, 60 to 70 swim strokes a minute. That's 4,200 swim strokes an hour in a 10 hour swim Approximately 20 to 25 miles in a 10-hour swim, 42,000 strokes over 10 hours. 14 hours over 62,000 swim strokes. July 4th, 1952, Florence Chadwick, 
attempted to swim a 21-mile swim across the Catalina Canal from the Catalina Islands off the coast of California to Palos Verdes uh, Sandy Beach in California, 21 miles, July 4th, 1952. She began her swim around 6 a.m. in the morning. It was a very cool day and foggy day. With boats around her, she began to swim, and she swam for four hours with such a good start, six hours, eight hours. After swimming 10 hours in shark-infested waters, with her, her trainer in a boat, her mom in a boat, and men in the boats around her, Brother Joe, shooting away the sharks, urging her on after 10 hours of swimming, over 42,000 swim strokes. She looked up and asked her mom, Mom, would you tell them to get me out of the water? I'm done. Her mom looked at her and said, But you're so close. Florence, keep going, keep swimming. So she swam on another five hours and 55 minutes. And now at almost 10 o'clock at night, as she's swimming on the Palos Verdes beach is a line of people with their lamps and their lanterns. And they're waiting. They're watching, Justin. They're standing on the beach watching for Florence. To crest that last wave. And to make it to the shore. 21 miles. 15 hours, 55 minutes. And one more time. She looks in the boat. And says, I'm done. My body's frozen. I can't make it. And with 800 yards to swim. She quit. Pulled out of the water. And Brother Joe, what I see, I see a great cloud of witnesses standing in heaven. And I see them lined across front of the throne. There's a great cloud of witnesses. And they're looking. And they're watching. And I think they're there to say, come on. That's the last wave. You're almost home. Come on, you can make it. Finish the race. Will you run freely? Will you run fittingly? Will you run focused? And will you run to finish? Now, lest we leave it on such a sad note, Brother Bill Florence Chadwick swam it a year later and completed it. So failure is not final. There's a great preacher that said that too. Failure is not final. May we run our race freely, fittingly, focused, and to finish. Thank you, Lord, for letting us be in your house.